God, help us to be a church and a people that stand firm in the faith. That during this pandemic, when many of us have maybe extra time on our hands, that we're not squandering that time. We're moving into the deep truths of who you are through your word so that we can find an anchor for our soul. God, we bring now to you people and contexts that need to be strengthened in your word and in the true faith. And God, where fear is pervasive, we would pray that we would live with courage, that we would be heartened and strengthened, that we would be encouraging to each other. We'd be looking for ways to place courage in those around us through a letter, a, an email, a word, um, a coffee get-together. May we be a people who is living from a place of uh, courageous love and faith. We bring to you those people in situations that need your supernatural courage. In this verse, God, <clears throat> in the passive form of the verb, it means to be strengthened. May we allow ourselves to be strengthened during this time. And that might mean acknowledging before you and before other people that we're not operating at full capacity, that we do feel weak, that we feel run down or tired or discouraged in an area, God, and help us not to try and put on a brave face and just power through, but with trusted people say, I need prayer, I need help, I need support. And would you strengthen us, God, through all the means that you do, whether it's a walk outside, whether it's listening to worship music, um, confession and connection and prayer with a Christian friend or a small group. Would you give us the humility and the wisdom to know how to be strengthened by you? We bring to you those places within ourselves that we know are running dry and that need your strength. And God, we close this time of prayer by asking that you would continue to show us what it looks like to do everything in love. And not a love that is mere sentimentalism or emotionalism, but a love that really is set to bless those around us. In our families, at school, in our friendship circles, in this community, in ways big and small, God, teach us to love and to do everything in love, to see the most um, regular and routine parts of our day as an opportunity to express love to you and love to those around us by doing those things in and through love. We want to be a church that loves well, God. And so empower us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and an imagination that is on fire for ways that we can love and care for each other. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we prepare to take up an offering this morning, I one of the things that I wanted to share with everyone is the truth that your giving matters. And I know that for some of us, 
there's just a good giving routine, and uh, we kind of have a vague sense that, yeah, God's kingdom is advancing, but without sharing too many details, because I don't have permission for this person to, to share everything, um, I have had a conversation with someone this week that left me just deeply grateful for what God is doing in and through this community. It was with a person who has turned their life over to Christ fairly recently, within the last year and a half, two years, and have and someone who's also taken advantage of all the different opportunities within this church to grow and to learn, sit down with pastors, other people, get invested. They have also very intentionally stepped into daily discipleship and taken that seriously through their work, through different relationships. And I've just been powerfully encouraged by something that they said to me this week. And I was sitting with this person and they said, it's really hard for me to even remember what life was like 24 months ago. And I've learned a little bit of what it means to turn my life over to Jesus. And I'm so excited. And they said, throughout the week, I'm often um, kind of dumbstruck when I'm going about my day or sometimes I'm in church and I realize what God has done in my life. And they said, I want you to know that you and this church and this community that I found here have been a huge part of that. And he said, worship is just something that comes naturally to me now. Um, and I understand why, because my heart is so full. And I see the difference that following Jesus makes. Now maybe one day that person will be able to share up here. But I wanted to pass along that story. To let everyone know and remind ourselves that when we give, whether it's online, whether it's e-transfers or putting it at the back, it can seem like a really quick thing, and maybe we think we're just supporting an organization, but we're actually helping people find life in Jesus, discover life in Jesus, move into a kingdom of light away from a kingdom of darkness. And that is happening in ways big and small all the time, so be encouraged. Let's pray. God, as we give, whether it's this morning or maybe some of us have already given this week or are going to give, these offerings are designed to fuel your mission. And so we just pray and ask that your kingdom, your agenda would advance. We thank you for the ways that these funds are being used to strengthen people in their faith and introduce people to the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for the work that you've done in our lives because of Christians who 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, gave of their time and their talent and their treasure. May we build into that legacy as well. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians 16 today. And I want to talk about, continue to talk about the challenges that are there when you're moving through a pandemic. There are obviously regular challenges that everyone faces when you live in a broken world, but those challenges sort of ramp up during a pandemic. 
But Christianity can resource people in a unique way with guidance, power, wisdom, and security that can't be found anywhere else because only in Christianity is a life-giving, restorative, transformational relationship with Jesus possible. And because of that, there are spiritual resources that can be brought to bear onto the issues in our lives that aren't available through any other means. Now, there are lots of challenges that we face in life that get ramped up in a pandemic. We've already talked about dread. Last week, we talked about loneliness and isolation. We're going to talk about anger and anxiety. And today, we're going to talk about spiritual weariness or ennui. But these can't be addressed. Any of these particular challenges, they can't be addressed holistically if while in trying to address them, we are holding God at bay, that we are rejecting or ignoring God. Because God is the restorer. God is the healer. God is the source and the center. And so what we should expect if we are trying to pursue those things outside of a relationship with God is that restoration and healing are going to kind of forever elude us. You can try and live a great life on your own terms, but without God's grace and forgiveness and power and love in your life, you're not going to be able to access the kind of life that allows you to be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strengthened, and to do everything in love. And if you think about that verse, part of what I love about it and why I've kind of adopted it for myself for these pandemic times is because it's sort of a mindset. It's a posture that really helps me move through my day and my week, recognizing that I need to take actionable steps every day to trust God, to obey his word, to prioritize his agenda and mission. And I was thinking this week, what will happen if I don't do that as a Christian? Like, what if I heard this and I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's kind of neat, and I kind of play around the edges, but I don't really commit to it. And I thought it's interesting to think through the consequences if you invert the verse, right? Where we, in ignoring God, in, um, in not prioritizing him and his kingdom in this stage of the pandemic, we're going to fall asleep at the wheel and stay asleep at the wheel. We're going to let our faith wither. We're going to continue to live in angst. We're going to become increasingly fragile. And we're going to operate out of fear. And everything that we do will be suffused with that kind of fear and angst. And I don't want to live like that as a Christian. During any times, but especially now, when there is opportunity, like never before, to share the love of Jesus with those around us. And if I don't want to live like that, then what I need to do is I need to turn towards Jesus, dig into his word, confront those things in my life that are running interference on my ability to live that life and to access what he wants for me. This morning, as I said, I want to talk about how faith in Christ gives us unique resources to deal with soul fatigue or weariness. Now, I'm going to be using a few different words interchangeably. Soul fatigue, despondency, weariness, feeling worn out or burnt out, 
We can use different words, but I hope you can kind of feel the sense of what I'm trying to get at. Uh, sort of a pervasive sense of uh, just worn down. Not just in a particular area of our life, but kind of throughout it. A lot of people are moving into this fall season tired and weary, but in a way that is difficult for them to articulate because it feels a little bit different than any other season of weariness that they've moved through before. I mean, we know we all go through stressful situations, and then if we're wise, what happens is we kind of realize we're under stress, we step back, we kind of say, okay, I need to regroup, I need to recharge, reset, and then we do those things, and then we can re-engage life on our terms. But I've talked to more and more people and read more and more articles and observed my own patterns of the soul. And that stage of recharging and recovering for a lot of people doesn't seem to be happening the same way, or it's happening very slowly. It's like you're a battery that's drained and you're plugged into the socket, but you're only kind of getting up to like 22%, and then you're kind of hitting a wall, and you're not sure why. A number of weeks ago, a colleague in the ECC, our denomination, posted an article that I found really, really helpful in terms of understanding this phenomenon in my own life and in the people that I'm talking to. The article was titled, Your Surge Capacity is Depleted, That's Why You Feel Awful. Your Surge Capacity is Depleted, That's Why You Feel Awful. And here's a quote from uh, Ann Mastin, who's a psychologist and professor of child development at the University of Minnesota. She says, in the early months of the pandemic, we were using what psychologists call our surge capacity, which is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that we all draw upon in short-term, sorry, draw upon for short-term survival in situations of acute stress. So maybe a more simplified way to think about that is kind of like the adrenaline rush. Something happens, whoa, the adrenaline burst, we get stuff done, then we kind of crash and recover. But natural disasters or those kinds of emergencies that we normally apply our surge capacity to are over a short period of time. Pandemics are something very, very different because the disaster stretches itself out over weeks and months and sometimes comes in waves, which presents a problem, and that is if your surge capacity gets depleted and your ability to adapt, sorry, if your surge capacity is depleted and needs to be renewed, what happens if you struggle to renew it because the emergency phase keeps unfolding? There's no obvious end. There's no solution. There's no, oh, pandemic's over. Now we can regroup. Well, a number of things happen. Number one, our ability to adapt and adjust to all the new realities, the new normals in our lives becomes more and more difficult. When you're tired, your abil ability to emotionally and physically and relationally pivot gets more and more hindered. And it becomes easier to shut down 
emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. The article states, we've all been hearing about the need to adjust to the new normal a lot. But that's easier said than done. How do you adjust to an ever-changing situation where the new normal is indefinite uncertainty? Where, yeah, maybe if you're a young family, kids are back to school and there's a sense of normalcy, but we don't know how long that's going to last. A week, a month, six months, a year? Trying to adjust well to the situation that we find ourselves in, one author said, it kind of feels like you're trying to stand up in a dinghy on the rough seas but without knowing when the storm is going to pass. And it's really exhausting. And if our surge capacity is deleted for long enough and we don't find ways to renew spiritually and relationally on on all the levels and all the dimensions of our personhood, then the psychological and the spiritual literature teach us to anticipate moving into what I would call a soul weariness, a real deep and pervasive sense of just feeling tired and worn down. One psychologist described it as an anxiety-tainted depression mixed with ennui, often associated with the inability to kind of concentrate and focus. The French, call, the French word there, ennui, is a, it's a rich word. It, it sort of tries to convey the idea of boredom, but not boredom in the sense of, I have to do this right now, and this is boring. I'd much rather be doing this because this is exciting. A boredom that says, it doesn't really seem to matter what I'm doing. I just am not really jazzed. Even the things that I used to do, that I thought were really fun and exciting and interesting. Eh. The disengagement. And that can be one of the primary manifestations of soul weariness. And when I say, when I use the language of an anxiety-tainted depression, I'm not necessarily talking about clinical depression in the same way that a a psychologist would. I mean that more literally in the sense of a kind of depression of the soul or the spirit. It's um, where we feel like the inside of who we are can't, can't get a full breath. We can't expand. The spirit feels maybe crushed or burdened or heavy or weakened. And I know that I'm using all kinds of kind of vague language and I'm sort of not landing on anything precise. And I can understand how that might be frustrating for some people, but it's complicated and this is a nuanced set of emotions that many of us have never experienced before so some people are going to talk about despondency or just feeling unmotivated or saying i just seem to lack enthusiasm for a lot of things this day these days or like it's not that i don't want to dig into scripture or show up to church or engage with other christians i think i should i i make the plans to and then i just can't follow through ancient christian writers used the word acedia, which not too effectively got translated in English uh, Bibles early on as sloth or laziness. But it's not laziness as if you could work, but you're just deciding not to and to not be productive. It's the sense of 
I just don't have a lot of vigor or enthusiasm for anything. And it affects everything. It's not localized to a particular area. It's not like work is hard, but family life is great. Or my hobbies are still um, bringing me lots of joy and excitement, but I'm really struggling in this part of my marriage. Writing on this kind of weariness, one um, Christian author who kind of tracks with acedia and does a lot of writing and reflection on it says, in the life of the soul, this soul weariness represents a kind of dead end. It's a distaste for all that is available combined with this generalized longing for what is not available. And that paralyzes the natural functions of the soul to such a degree that no single one of any of the other thoughts can gain an upper hand. So it's this sort of deadening where it's not that you've necessarily given up on life, It's just you don't really see or feel a lot of compulsion to engage life in any way. And it takes a tremendous amount of of energy to follow through on whatever commitments you do have. Several writers from older church traditions going deep into the early uh, church fathers describe this as a state that overtakes a person and generates a strange combination of kind of listlessness, undirected anxiety, and the inability to concentrate. But I think a phrase that captures it, a term that holds it all together, is kind of weariness of the soul. Now the good news is the Bible talks a lot about God and how he restores the weary. But often we can jump, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't project that in terms of how you read it. I often read that as restoring the physically weary. So when Jeremiah, when God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint, I think of it in terms of like, my physical batteries are drained and I need to be recharged. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, my flesh and my heart fail. And again, I can kind of jump to like the physiological part of that, where we're just tired. Maybe we're moving through a stage of life where we're just really physically tired. But it's important to understand that those verses can speak to that pervasive sense of weariness of the soul that's hard to articulate, hard sometimes to notice because it kind of creeps up and catches up with us until we get to a point where we kind of don't want to get out of the bed on Tuesday morning. And if we do, we feel like we're sort of walking through our lives in a zombified version of who we are. And I think the warning that has always been there from Scripture through the church, many different church traditions is that if this ennui or acedia or soul weariness really takes root, and doesn't get addressed in our lives, then we may come to the place of identifying with Jonah's resignation in Jonah 4, 8, where he says, I've actually come to the place where it's better for me to die than to live. It's not an active sense of like, I want to harm myself, but he just looks at the situation and says, yeah, it would be better for me not to be alive. 
Now, for some people, that movement might feel like an exaggeration. They might say, I would never be in that place. And you may never find yourself in that place. But I am reading and hearing from people who I think are. And one psychologist quoted in this Surge Capacity article uh, wrote something that I thought was helpful for me and might help us to walk with greater compassion and care for each other. The psychologist said, I think maybe we're under underestimating how severe the adversity is that people are experiencing and how this reaction of sort of weariness or shutting down surge capacity depletion is pretty normal in a situation that is significant and it's ongoing and it represents a kind of unfolding cascading disaster where none of us are even really sure if the worst you know present another shoe to drop in terms of challenge for us individually or as a community. They write, it's important to recognize that it's normal in a situation of great uncertainty and chronic stress to feel exhausted and to feel ups and downs and to feel like you're depleted or you experience periods of burnout. People can use their surge capacity for a short amount of time but when dire circumstances drag on, the psychologist says, you have to adopt a different style of coping. Now, it might have happened without your perception, but if you find yourself genuinely struggling with a generalized sense of enthusiasm, vibrancy, anticipation for the things of life, depressed, if that metaphor of being a battery that can't kind of break this invisible ceiling of I can only kind of recharge to 22%, you may be struggling with a soul weariness that's a result of carrying all that you have, maybe not even unknown to you, over the last six months. And if you are in that place, I want to say there is no shame in admitting that you're in that place. Sometimes we can uh, teach or hear or assume that what it means to be a Christian is to always be walking in strength, and that strength gets displayed by being in a posture of always overcoming. Challenge, overcome. Challenge, overcome. And that's the evidence that you are walking in the strength of God. And that can breed a suspicion that if I go through something, maybe not like a, a problem for like a day or a week or like an acute like little, oh, there was a hard thing here, but then I got through it. But if it drags on, we might fall into the temptation that there must be something wrong with my faith because if I was really following Jesus, if I was really walking in the Spirit, you know, we can put different things in there. If I was really faithful, um, then this situation wouldn't have overtaken me. But situations can overtake us as Christians. And they often do. And what determines the strength of your faith is not whether or not something overtakes you, but who you turn to and how you walk once you realize, oh, this is a problem in my marriage, in this friendship, in my thought patterns, 
in my soul weariness. That's what determines our strength. Are we humble enough to say, I'm in trouble and I need Jesus? So I want to share with you a few things that we can do if we find ourselves laboring under a deep and seemingly inescapable soul weariness. One of these might apply to you. All of them might apply to you. You might want to tuck these away because if they don't apply to you now, they might in 60 days from now. You likely know many people in your life for whom some of these things could be helpful to hear, not necessarily directly from you, but gently inviting them into uh, some of these things in order to care and sustain them. So the first thing I would say is it's really important to be honest with God and with trusted other people about the situation of your soul. And you don't have to have perfect language. And it, when you're talking with God and with trusted people, they're not going to hold you to perfect language. But you can just say, I'm feeling weary. Like what Jeff talked about, that resonates with me. I'm like that. I get that it's slightly imprecise, but that's what I'm feeling. And we can talk to God about those things. And we can talk to at least one or two other people. You can talk to myself. You can talk to Rick. You can talk to a close Christian friend. The Psalms are full of examples. Psalm 25, where the psalmist says, Turn to me and be gracious from, to me, because I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from, from my anguish. The psalmist isn't trying to save face. He's not trying to fake it to make it. He's not trying to posture that he's stronger than he is. He's saying, God, I need you. And I'm sure there was someone in the psalmist's life that he was sharing that with as well. That's really, really important. And when we share with God and we share with others, part of what we need to specifically understand is that we're dealing often when it comes to soul weariness with sort of layers of grief. And again, grief isn't localized to the death of a loved one or someone that mattered to us. Grief occurs in our souls whenever there's any loss. It might be a very minor expression of grief for a small loss, but those losses still need to be grieved. And over the pandem pandemic, over six months, I guarantee you, you've had a lot of losses in your life. We've all lost life as we knew it. And now we've all lost life as we knew it across our marriages, our families, our work. And again, some of those things might have been very minor, minor adjustments. But they're layered. And again, they're cascading. And none of us can even rest in the certainty of like, oh, okay, but the way it is now, like, there won't have to be any more of these pivots in the future. There might have to be major pivots in a month from now, six months from now. And all, all of that, all of those little losses can accumulate. The sports thing that you were really looking forward to engaging in the year, that's off the table. This activity, off the table. Being able to meet in person in someone's home for a small group, maybe for a season, off the table. Yeah, there are other things that you can do, but those are still losses. And it seems counterintuitive because sometimes when we have soul weariness by temperament or by teaching, hopefully not up front here, but maybe we've picked it up from other sources. When we're feeling down, when we're feeling weary, we got to just kind of steel ourselves and move forward and pump ourselves up and, and kind of summon faith-filled enthusiasm. And it seems very counterintuitive to actually lean into the grief, even for a few minutes a day. 
say, God, I'm really ticked about this. I'm super disappointed about this. I'm heartbroken over this. And to share that with someone else. But grief is actually the way you begin to dislodge some of the stuckness that happens in our lives with soul weariness. And the way that we grieve one way is just to put on worship music that connects with how we're feeling, sit in the presence of God, even for two, three, four minutes, write out on a piece of paper or say out loud the things that you are sad about. And just say, God, I'm sad about these things. I don't even know if anything can be done about them. But I'm in anguish over these things. I'm troubled over these things. I'm, I'm afflicted over these things. I need your help. Lament regularly the little losses and the big ones that you experience over the pandemic because that's really how you begin to dislodge some of the stuckness. The second thing really quickly is I think it's important in a season of soul weariness just to expect less of yourself. You're just not operating at full capacity. You are like a battery getting the 22% and you have to have the wisdom to say, I can't expect from myself what I did a year ago, two years ago. And if you're a high achiever, this will be very, very difficult because it will feel like a massive downgrade in your productivity and therefore part of your identity and security. It'll, maybe it'll even feel like giving up or lowering expectations to an inappropriate level. But instead of seeing it as giving up, if you're a high achiever who has to kind of expect less of yourself, try and see it as giving your soul a chance to catch up and just find a new rhythm that is sustainable. And that requires humility and it requires that you acknowledge that you don't have to and can't operate at full capacity. And God's okay with that. And the people that love you around you will be okay with that as well. Number three, it's still important to prioritize that which restores and replenishes. We need to be honest with ourselves and say, walks in nature are deeply restorative for me. And move beyond that to, I got to do it. I got to schedule it. Maybe I have to increase that. Or um, connecting with a particular person, hanging out with my buddies, whatever it is, to not just know that about yourself, but to say, this is the time where I have to prioritize those things more. Because this is an area where God really restores and replenishes my soul. Some Christians, depending on your tradition, will balk at this a little bit because it sounds like, to, to their ears, it sounds like what that is inviting them into is to be more self-centered. But that's not the case. You're not shifting into a selfish mode where everything is about you. You're actually shifting into a recognition that because you are weary in your soul, you want to nurture it back to strength by taking advantage of some of the conduits of God's grace that he has already established in your life and saying, yeah, normally I might not need these as much as I need them now, but I really need them now. Again, it's a posture of humility. It's about putting yourself in a position to be strengthened, to receive from God through the grace of a good conversation, this group of people, this activity, this hobby. And again, we can talk about some of the general things that will help prioritizing good sleep, good food, 
exercise, prayer, gratitude, meaningful connection with other people, um, and learning to say no, maybe to non-essential commitments. But those are going to be really, really important. Number four, build resilience through routine and responsibility. During these times especially, it's really important to have a routine. It doesn't have to be um, scheduled down to the minute, but we all know instinctively, even if by temperament we kind of avoid getting locked in to a routine, we all generally thrive with routine. We all do better when we know this is happening today and I'm moving through my day. And on Monday mornings, this is what I do. This is how I start my day. We have rituals of waking up. We have sleep rituals and we move through those. And then to, to leverage that and to say, how do I continue to serve other people? Because finding a way to serve other people, even psychologists argue, is really, really helpful in buoying our spirits. And we, we just know that from personal experience. When we move into some of the darkest times in our lives, that's not the time to just say, well, I just got to work on me. It's the time to say, I need to allow God to strengthen me, maybe in new ways, but I'm also going to look for ways to strengthen other people through encouragement and care. Number five, invest love into everything that you do. And what's interesting here is I didn't lift that from 1 Corinthians 16, although it's obviously there. That was actually the language that was used by a psychologist in describing one of the important postures of how to move through depleted surge capacity. They said, um, during recovery from extended periods of being worn out or even burnt out, in slowing down and simplifying, one of the most important things they found for people to do is look at their everyday things, doing the dishes, folding laundry, changing a diaper, connecting with a spouse after a day of work, picking up the phone, see it, uh, and move into it saying, how could I just kind of invest a little extra bit of loving care into this conversation, into this opportunity? I'm driving to the grocery store, but what does it look like to do my groceries, like, in love? And we might kind of be like, that's kind of weird, but like, Scripture says, 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31, I think, uh, um, do everything you, you know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it with love. As we invest love into our little tasks, we discover that God begins to dislodge the, the soul weariness. Slowly, but it happens. You can't, maybe the way to think about it is, you can't drive out soul weariness by willpower, but you can uproot it through love and care. That is strong enough to get underneath it and dislodge it. And lastly, and this is something that I would say, and it comes from tangentially uh, looking at different sources, monitor, limit, or even delete social media. Um, we already were beginning to get a research repertoire that was showing a massive correlation between social media use and anxiety and depression. And I think that's just kind of amped up over the pandemic. And it's going to amp up over the next few months as there's more political, uh, heightening of political tensions, both in the States, here in Canada, um, moving to colder, darker days. It will be easier and easier to get fascinated and locked into a cycle that we can't get out of that will 
not, that will do the exact opposite of bringing restoration to our souls. I thought this was an interesting observation by one secular writer. They wrote, um, what, what they noted was that the pandemic and the governmental responses to it create very similar social conditions that approximate those of desert monks. And he said, maybe we're not battling demons, but social media offers us a steady stream of bad or misleading news. And unless you have very carefully curated your social media streams, then it will be almost impossible to fulfill the call of Philippians 4.8. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I don't know how you could possibly seek to seriously fulfill that while spending most of your day soaking in bad, fake, negative, rage-inducing news. So monitor, limit, or even consider for a season deleting your social media. But let's make sure the main thing stays the main thing. I said earlier, if you want to address these struggles, including soul weariness, while pushing God away, restoration and renewal are always going to evade you. And so you can try and deal with soul weariness on your own, but outside of, of a restored relationship with your soul's maker and sustainer, you're not going to be able to access the kind of life that allows you to be alert and stand firm in the faith and be courageous and be strengthened and to do everything in love. To a world that is buckling under soul weariness or spiritual exhaustion, Jesus invites you and I to find rest and restoration in him. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You don't have to earn it. You can just receive it. Take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the source of an inexhaustible strength and comfort and grace. And so go to him, bring your heart to him as weary and unenthused and dispirited as it is and let him begin a rejuvenating work in your life. Let's pray. God, we need you, and especially for those of us this morning who are laboring under a weary soul. God, give us grace to see our need for you. Teach us how to come to the great physician who heals the places within us that we can't touch, that sometimes we're not even aware of. We throw ourselves on your mercy and ask for your help. In your most precious name, amen.